This is Gail Cook. And this is Kara Amy Maxfield. And this This is Permanent Filter. Hello and welcome everyone. You've reached uh, an edition of Permanent Filter. We're glad to have you with us. And the title of this week's episode is Oh the Horror. And no surprise as to what Gail and I are going to be talking about, my lovely co-host. Hello. Yes, here she is. I'm Kara Amy Maxfield. And I'm Gail. Gail. Cook. <laughs> yes, she does have a last name for those who are asking. We're going to be discussing some a fun, this is going to be as hopefully as fun for you as it is for us. We're going to be discussing some of our favorite horror slash ghost stories slash psychological supernatural movies and we're going to be telling you a little bit about what that means that we like these particular movies because we each have our made our short lists Mm -hmm. and we know no surprises to us but maybe to you as to what are on these lists and it's they're quite different lists even though a movie that I I will be discussing which is session nine was a movie in which we bonded over the fact that we both have uh, DVD copies of this movie as well as other we were like oh my god we both love this movie (laughs) (laughs) let's be friends yeah so our friendship is not based solely on session nine but uh, the movie set in the former Danvers uh, mental asylum in just outside of Boston was something that brought us together so Gail did you want to go over the list of movies that you're going to be discussing sure well we she uh Kara Amy asked for like seven favorites and here I am at 15 <laughs> but we won't be discussing all of them but uh my first seven is Hellraiser session nine they live the thing 1982 version resident evil the first movie Silent Hill 2006, and Pan's Labyrinth. So, those are my picks. What are your picks, Harry? So, my favorite, and, and, and I've limited them to seven. I started with five. I thought, no, that's not nearly, that doesn't give enough room to seven, and then realized I could easily go to 14 or 15, but for the time constraints. So, my on my list, my short list, is The Changeling, The Babadook, The Sixth Sense, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, The Others, and Lake Mungo. So I'm going to start off, if that's okay, with the first on my list, and uh, which is The Changeling. And none of these items on the list, it's not a, a list of... The, the list is not putting them in priority. It's just hmm. these are the top, my top horror films, and this was the first one to discuss because it's one of those hidden treasures. That's the thing, whenever I'm going on to, to YouTube or looking or podcasts, blogs, etc., I love, love, love when people will have um, hidden treasures list because... Isn't that the one with Bowie in it? Is with, the Changeling David Bowie one? No. Oh, okay. No. Don't, I actually don't even know what movie. There was a movie with uh, with uh, Angelina Jolie called Changeling, which was oh, equally, oh. yeah, they're not David Bowie, but, but directed by Clint Eastwood, and that came out. Um, Is that the one we're talking maybe about? Maybe 10, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not that one at all. Okay. I, 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 
a a hidden I don't know if I call it a hidden gem I mean it is a gem I don't know how hidden it is but it is a I really loved the movie the time period it's about uh, a missing boy and uh, the attempts to tr of his mother to try to find him and it's set in the 19 1920s Los Angeles I believe anyway love the period pieces but no this the cha the changeling uh, with the article in front of Changeling, is a movie with George C. Scott, which stars George C. Scott. And it is from 1980, I believe. And this, to me, is the... It, it is the quintessential ghost story movie. And it encapsulates everything that I love about ghost stories. Uh, all the great elements and all of kind of the psychological nature of ghost stories that appeal to me as an aside as i'm just looking mm -hmm. on the internet yes that's a canadian a movie from 1980 yes <laughs> and as a proud uh, as a proud canadian yes thank you for pointing that out gail because uh, you know props to canada wherever to the canadian film industry but fortunately it is one that it is it was um actually i'm not sure if it was shot in canada I know that it is supposed to be in Washington State. I believe it's, I believe it's set in Seattle. It was filmed in a in a large mansion, a historical mansion outside. But um, I believe it is in Seattle. Yeah, but it is a Canadian production. So forty years ago this year, and uh, and it is held up very well because. Um, all the elements of the ghost story are in there. So the, the story is thus. George C. Scott plays a composer whose wife and young daughter are killed in a kind of a bizarre car accident uh -huh. before the credits or as the credits roll. So right. the movie is the movie gets underway. He's a widower and uh, the movie starts then starts off. This is... A, a fair bit of time about a year later so he's still grieving but it's not fresh and he is uh renting this this large mansion uh -huh. and um mysterious events occur in the course of him living there on his own which if you're going to uh, be renting a mansion best to be doing so when you are you know, grieving and yes. on your own. Yeah, yeah, and totally. keeping also in mind that because the, the it's set in the 80s, this is also prior to uh, the wide use of cell phones, mm -hmm. you know, even Wi-Fi technology. So you're even more, on one hand, you're more cut off from other human beings. Mm -hmm. But as we've seen in some other movies, it's just technology. Well, if you can manifest yourself out of thin air, you probably can play with, you know, sort of the... The airwaves and and uh -huh. you can you can get into technical equipment as well too and create havoc. So, without spoiling too much of the show, and I, I do want to add this this caution to this episode that we are going to be presenting spoilers because we're not so much doing a review of a particular movie whereby we can say at a certain point, okay, now you want to speed ahead or you want to stop the podcast at this point because spoilers we are going to be liberally sprinkling spoilers as it comes to as they come to our head as we discussing mm -hmm. plot points so be forewarned is forearmed so 
George C. Scott, mysterious things happen. He's still grieving. There's a really poignant scene where he wakes up sobbing. And I realized that that is like one of the few scenes in a movie where I've heard a, a person, let alone a man who's like the stoic figure that George C. Scott plays, uh -huh. like sobbing as he wakes up in the morning, oh. having dreamt about the accident that took the lives of his wife and daughter. And then here's this tremendous banging that he realizes must be some sort of supernatural uh, manifestation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, as these things go, he calls on um, uh, the agent who rented him the house, knows some people who, uh, <laughs> knows some people who are in the, uh, uh, who are clairvoyant and they hold a seance and during the course of this seance mm -hmm. you know they've done some research on the house and found that there was a young girl who was like the daughter of a family killed by in this coal cart accident in front of the house but indeed the person who's trying to communicate is like a young boy who specifically wants to communicate with him right possibly because the young boy feels his his law he realizes his loss and you know there's that communication from beyond mm -hmm. that grave that reaching out anyway so without spoiling a great movie for you the reason that this movie really resonates for for me beside the whole haunted house which i absolutely love mm -hmm. is because it embodies this sense of justice mm -hmm. that i love in a good ghost story to me gail i see a perfect supernatural film as being one in which things are put right mm -hmm. the bad wicked people are punished and justice is restored even for those who are beyond this life right and this is indeed what transpires what happened how the boy died in the house there's uh, also a political connection as well so some political shenanigans and things are rectified and it's a great performance by George C. Scott in the role and uh, Melvin Douglas I believe who plays a senator in the film who is connected to the to the to the house Fun is fact it's his about last. Melvin, oh do tell yes he also was in Ghost Story in ah, another yes yes and uh, actually when you're saying a ghost story about mm -hmm. justice that includes justice so mm -hmm. does, it's this kind of the same with ghost story where there's absolutely justice. absolutely so, yeah. yeah peter straub novel loved the novel uh really enjoyed the ghost story not on either of our lists but i think one that would be maybe on it also about that one, yeah when you were you... saying justice it's like oh yeah ghost story but anyway exactly continue. coming back so when what well i won't say too much more because i'm realizing that we both got like if between the two of us we've got a lot of movies to discuss but i will say that you might not get to all of them. if you are looking for a good sort of haunted house ghosts you know fair ghosts not nasty ghosts but you know ghosts who have been wronged especially like the death of children and when when you see the movie and understand what has transpired you see the real evil also the whole thing with this movie is that it brings to light the evil that that humans do oh yeah that is far more evil than any anything that ghosts or any supernatural beings so the evil that is in this life and evil for gain but i don't want to spoil anything more so i will just leave it at that the changeling 1980. Gail. well uh hellraiser the first hellraiser story hmm. um or movie pardon me um 
really was great for me. Like, it's in the 80s. Mm. Um, and the era of slasher movies. I mm. believe this was 1987. Mm. Um, and what I liked about this movie is... I mean, there was an element of justice in it, like you mm. were talking about. Um, but basically, and again, possible spoilers, um, whoever was, whoever encountered the encountered the beings in Hellraisers, deserved it. I mean, they seeked it out, <laughs> they sought out, and got their just desserts. Mm. Basically, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Um, mm. I'm so innocent. No, mm. no, no. Mm. Or a random thing. We're no. just sort of a hapless person, wrong place, wrong time. And it was also not a mindless slasher hmm. film, which I really enjoyed. Hmm. It had a reason. Hmm. Um, like I said, if you encountered these things, you sought sought out to be punished, basically. Hmm. So, I mean, of course, there's a lot of other things in it with the main characters, like Christy, one of the main character. I mean, she got caught up in all of it. But it was well done. It was intelligent. It wasn't like, oh, Freddy mm. Krueger, who's just randomly evil, mm. you know, and just mm. likes killing kids. It wasn't mm. that. Well, then those yeah, kind I mean, of, those kind of, sorry, Gail, that then it becomes those kind of movies then just become a sort of a supernatural slasher film. Yeah, basically. But this, this had logic mm. to it. And a reason, and it was mm. very well done. the The effects were really, really good. Mm. And Doug Bradley is just Doug Bradley is amazing. <laughs> I'm not familiar Do with him. Oh my god! Mm. I'll show you pictures. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> There's but evidence. The, the costuming, everything, and the story mm. was worth following, as far as I was. Concerned. So the art direction is worth it alone. Then. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, it is 1987. Okay. So you gotta, I mean, it's not for its time. CGI, for its time, yeah. You know. So thirty, thirty-three years ago. But art direction, just to slip in here, one movie that we I rewatched with you a little while back was The Cell with Jennifer Lopez. Oh my God! That's that another was, one. Spectacular art direction. That is actually in my second set of things. The second set. <laughs> so I won't say more than that. But I, for me, the art direction alone. The visual, like, quite macabre, mm-hmm. often very macabre, but just brilliant imagination, conceptualization, and execution yeah. of the thoughts. But yeah, the, I mean, the direction, everything. The, mm-hmm. the whole cast and crew did an amazing job, and I would definitely um, recommend it. It's basically... It's it's more than an amusing romp. Mm. If you <laughs> there are movies I yeah. like because mm-hmm. they're just fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But this this had logic and reason and mm. the whole thing. Mm. But what I really want to talk about the movie I really want to talk about is mm. Session Nine, the one we bonded over. Okay, then I think that's a great time. Do you want to start off that discussion? Well, I just <laughs> well, for, first of all. What was it about the? If you had to encapsulate for listeners, what was it about session nine that is is so like so definitive for you? You know, you really feel bad for the guy hmm. who's under a lot of pressure, hmm. and just stuff happened. He couldn't take it, and yeah, huh. I just it, the the main character is like the everyman. Hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just. 
He's not an evil I'm person. I'm a teenage girl. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just, you know, hmm. going to have sex at a lake with some guy. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. It's just. Although that's like, good too, but. Well, you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, what can you But do? it's. Yeah. But it was random Joe Blow who just lost lost it. So I really like that. It's like. I don't know. I hmm. felt for him. Yeah. I mean, there's no, um, there's no um, sympathy for what he did, but I sympathize for his breakdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So essentially with this film, did you actually, so the film, the synopsis of the film is it's set in, um, uh, this is kind of also a shout out to Gail and I both enjoy their urban archaeology exploration of an appreciation for abandoned buildings and this is actually set session nine is set in the danvers well it's gone through many names but it's danvers it was a, a mental institution from the 1850s one of the kirkbride buildings um part of a, a, a treatment good intentions good intentions of treatment of the mentally ill that became basically snake a snake pit until they were closed down for lack of funding in the 1980s so the movie itself is about a group of uh, it's all male cast and the main character peter mullen is uh, owns an asbestos uh, removal company so they're actually in the location and the Purdue and Brad Anderson is a co-writer and along with Stephen Gavidan is a co-writer and the director of the film and they he talks about the fact that the that the location is another character and all of the performers mm. in the film talk about the impact in the supplemental materials the impact that the place had this is the place Danvers is is kind of like ground zero uh, for mental illness and that uh, its location outside of Boston. It was actually on the site of the original Salem, which like one of the the judges who presided over the Salem, the original Salem witch uh, trials lived on what is present day Danvers. Danvers. See, I did not know that. That's see, fun fact with that, yeah. fun fact with that. And Danvers itself, which has since been converted to now haunted condos, it was actually... Uh, Might as well get more bang with your buck. Ex hey, there you go. And, you know, why, why, not why not just turn everything into condos, right? Even if it's the place where, you know, the hanging judges lived on. And also, another fun fact was that Danvers is the place where they developed, introduced and developed the frontal lobotomy. Which, yeah. Yeah. So that is, so there's, if, if you're a person who believes, as I think we both do with the, the whole urban archaeology and the psychology of space, that places are haunted, that there are particular spaces that just by virtue of what has gone on prior, um, it kind of imbues the whole, the physical place, the land, the buildings with a sense of evil like evil desperation loneliness trauma buildings as traumatized but we're going to get into that in more detail in a later episode where yeah. we just do discuss the place and and urban archaeology but just suffice to say that um with this with this particular with session nine to me what struck me because in this the the one of the characters who is relating the background to the uh like what has transpired there and the others are kind of joking about look we've the loonies are out in the street 
and we, you know, have been released from the asylum like 20 years back. This movie's from 2001, and uh, we've got the keys to the to, to the loony bin, kind of like. But the movie very skillfully and poignantly points out that there's there's a very fine line between sanity and the insanity and, and it's I really not believe that too and right? I believe that as well too that you're one bad day and with the main character as Gail as as you've explained um it's he's not an evil man he's a good man oh, but things no. happen and did you also know about that that the that um Brad Anderson wrote the screenplay or co-wrote the screenplay based on a real case that happened outside of Boston oh, where a man and here's the spoiler spoiler alert where uh, a man who was an insurance salesman for years you know professionally stable and successful had an argument with his wife uh killed her and chopped her body up and put her heart on a stake in the garden and went to work (laughs) and successfully functioned for a week until I believe that he had, um, I have to like go back and check, but that he basically went to work for a week Uh functioning completely well. And then I think sort of said, Oh, I, you know, basically slaughtered my wife and just kind of made like, you know, like a a yard decoration. So it was this whole thing that somebody can have like this breakdown and then their mind can completely block it. But, uh, I mean, can't pass judgment on whether or not that fellow was evil, but the whole point of this movie is not that the main character, it's just, it's really, it's really poignant and tragic. And it also, parallels the story this so the session nine the title comes from the fact that one actually the co-writer Stephen Gavidon uh-huh. um, becomes obsessed finds some old reel-to-reel tapes of patient doctor psychiatrist therapy sessions and the session nine is when you find out what happened to one patient right. and it parallels the story yeah, yeah. of of Gordon the main character another fun fact mm. do you tell the fun facts fun facts with mental illness and murder <laughs> yeah if this doesn't scare you away mm. from being my friend so mm. I saw this movie Nothing like could. years and years and years ago mm-hmm. and I really loved it I, re- I really did I mean who doesn't love David Caruso oh <laughs> yeah David Caruso <laughs> is in this film yeah um, anyway oh. so I gave um yeah. I gave my copy mm-hmm. of my DVD to a friend of mine and mm-hmm. said, oh, well, this is a really great movie. Yeah. And then she gave the DVD back and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, what did you think about it? And she's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I let it lie. Mm-hmm. And then, but it just really confused me mm-hmm. about what her, she goes, it reminded me of you. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> okay, what's so the guy that behind or yeah. the patient on the tape? Like, uh, yeah, which part? Or all of them? All of them? To, there's basically yeah, actually Gail. That says a lot because it's sort of like there's no one really in this film who comes across as somebody that you would like to be compared to. No. Like not everyone, not everyone does the actions or creates the tragedy that the main character has, but. No yeah, one's really like, functioning very well. But, because, but I yeah. mean, to be fair to me, I mean, yeah. I've never been that so... Uh, <laughs> did she ever explain that? No. Okay, did you ever push further? No. Okay, perhaps it's best. Perhaps it's best, but there's a lot of stress at that time. So maybe that could be. It's like, 
Um, I have no plans it's on interesting. killing anybody or losing my mind. Thing. But you know what? The thing is, is I could well, I was delighted to find out that we both had such an appreciation for this underappreciated gem. And you know what? Yeah. The best thing about it mm. mm -hmm. is that... Do tell. It does not have a high production value. Mm. Like, mm. it's not, it doesn't have effects. Mm. Like, as, like, mm. you know, we're not talking Avatar mm. here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very simple. Mm. Mm. There's not a, a lot of gore. Dress, uh, uh, mm. set at the hospital yeah. and a set at the home. So it's it's not uh, it doesn't rely at all really on special effects. It's just the people and the actors, and they really pulled it off. You care about so the thing is is two things for what you're saying there. You care about these people. That yes. at the heart, and that's actually a point that I wanted to make about all of the things on my list and what I cleave to when it comes to horror movies is that there has to be, at the heart, they're human stories. Yeah. If you don't care about the characters, then I don't care about them dying. I don't care about what's done to them, and I don't care about what they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's part of, the, part of the issue with that. And but. I mean, we've really known mm. people like those people, except mm -hmm. for maybe the guy that lost his crap but yeah you, but even then like all the workers mm, there like the yeah. lazy guy that avoids work at all costs yeah you know yeah the the guy that just wants to get stuff done and leave yeah. wants yeah. his money yeah you know think people like that we've all known those people and at the heart of it too is the very real sense of the peter mullins character the main character takes the job under bids so he's supposed to do the contract is supposed to be completed in a week and it's just everyone else Which has said that it's his like first his first mistake there. They even actually used like the whole shining um, as sort of structure where it's like Monday, where yes. the card comes yeah. on and it's like Monday. Everything's so you're fine like, on Monday. Everything's fine on Monday, so it's the countdown. There's something sort of very, uh, there's, there's a real sense of dread whenever, just like in The Shining when they use, and they did that uh -huh. as an homage to The Shining. When there's this kind of countdown, you're like, okay, where are we by Friday or the weekend? Like, if they're <laughs> counting it Monday, they then can't say something's going down within a week, right? Because they can't say next Monday. But I would yeah. say mm. for myself mm -hmm. that they, the um, session nine did that better yeah. than yeah. Kubrick. Yeah. Because why is that? Because a they didn't take an author's book and desecrate it. Mm. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. 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 You're that's right. That's a whole other story. Agree. Yeah. B it it made um, a lot of sense, and it was better because they mm. because a at the end of the day they could go home and do their stuff whereas you're stuck at a hotel yeah in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah in the winter yeah. right i mean obviously different stories but i really think that that format of monday tuesday wednesday yeah. is a lot more effective in mm. session nine than it was yeah you're absolutely right and of course they only had a week to do it as well too so it wasn't just an arbitrary sense of this is happening in a session week session nine for a week session nine for a week so the contract yeah. the contract yeah. to to rid the asbestos to rid danvers of the asbestos 
um, the, the asbestos abatement needed to be completed within a week. So Gordon had underbid by like, they're like, this is everyone else. All of the other guys are like, this is a two week job. So we have the immediacy. He's doing this because he's underbid, not because he wants to get things done quickly, but because mm -hmm. he needs the job or his company is going to go under. Mm -hmm. So I think that any one of us and <laughs> who can understand what it's like to be in a precarious financial position, to be concerned about that. And certainly in these times, I think that's pretty much all of us can understand the immediacy mm -hmm. for this main character. Another scene that I really liked in there mm -hmm. uh, was when in the tunnel where the guy was afraid of the dark. Mm -hmm. And then, the, and then the, oh, the power goes out, yeah. and then one light goes off, two, three, four, all the way down the tunnel, and he's As trying he's to beat the tunnel. It. Yeah. And I thought that was just amazing. I, You know, that's interesting that you say that, because I remember seeing the trailer for this movie before I saw it in the theater. Mm -hmm. Tricked a friend who didn't like these kind of movies into coming with me. <laughs> um, so that's part of my cruelty, but, you know, it had to be done. I saw that scene, and I thought oh my god the dark is almost like a physical like yeah. i didn't even see it like seeing it out of context yeah. i yeah. thought that's absolutely amazing it's like the dark the darkness was actually a creature encroaching about which must if you yeah. have that fear of the dark must be what it is like it but it filmed like. brilliantly and it's almost like and that's a standout scene i'm glad that you mentioned that yeah. because i remember that and then seeing it in the context of the film and still being amazed by it but Okay, so, um, you know, I think we've got so much material here, we could even do a two-parter for this podcast, or because or a three-parter. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of goodness on our list. So with that, okay, just a, re uh, a recap. So that is Session 9, 2001, Brad Anderson, director. Go see it. You won't be sorry. The, um, the, the, third, uh, the third selection on my list is an Australian film of a few... Fairly recent, a few years ago, um, The Babadook. And I had resisted. I had heard all the word was good from people whose opinion that I trust, uh, people online, people that I follow. And um, But I held off on it because I understood it to be like a creature feature, like what is this Babadook? One, the name sounded ridiculous. It sounded like a made-up name. And I'm very resistant, with good reason, um, for movies that are... Uh, like creature features, because with the exception of one that is on my list called Possum, there is virtually nothing that I have seen in the, in the form of like a creature that has been scary enough for for me to for that scared me enough to warrant it being like having an impact on me as a horror film. Anyway, so that being said, my objections overcome. I will say this: the movie is a masterpiece really of of art direction of character development mm -hmm. and i'll tell you this i watched it with a friend of mine the first time uh-huh at my over at my place so we watched it on dvd and he was reluctant he's like yeah i like these type of movies but i can't stand jump scares and i had promised him there wouldn't be any and i was good <laughs> as my word Oh, and I watched okay, it through, I, we both watched it through respective, you know, fingers, uh, you know, fingers over our eyes uh -huh. in terror. Uh -huh. And then the second time I rewatched it and watched it alone and I sobbed most of the way through it. Oh no, So that's okay. a great horse. So the interesting reaction. I mean, were we sobbing because it was uh, that poor single mother and her child or is it like, I'm terrified? 
sobbing? I was sobbing actually for the reason, I was sobbing for the reason of, I believe that that has been the best representation, the best metaphor of grief, loss, and depression that I've ever seen committed to film. Holy smokes. So what I love about going back to why I watch these type of movies, like horror movies, ghosts for supernatural movies, is because of the metaphorical quality to them. Uh, I mean, it's been said that like the haunted house is the haunted psyche. So the house is a representative of the psyche. And so this creature was a manifestation, like spoiler, manifestation of this woman's grief. She, her husband had been killed or horrifically decapitated oh. in a car accident when they were racing to hospital so she could get birth to the son oh. that she has unresolved feelings of resentment for understandably even for a loving parent and her inability to deal with this grief mm -hmm. to acknowledge it and to get some therapy some help um, has resulted in this creature in the Babadook itself which is her anger towards her son and so there's this sense in this movie about a loving mother I mean, mm -hmm. who truly is a mother who would give her life for her child and truly a good person and good parent who cannot function until she actually deals with this sense of grief. Is this kind of a thing where, um, like you always hear like a, a parent dies in childbirth, or the mother dies in childbirth mm -hmm. and the father is angry at... At the child. Actually, Actually that's that kind of like... Yeah, it thing? really is. It's it's kind of like the female version of that where the loss of the other... Actually, that's great. I never really... I didn't really think about that, how it's like the feminine... Not the feminine side to that. There will be there, the woman in black, another one mm -hmm. on my short list, where it's... Uh, where he's lost his wife, mm -hmm. um, but not the child in childbirth, and there is that resentment. So actually, that's a great insight into that. There is that sense of, well... She's got this child, but she'd rather have, you know, yeah. some part of her would still have the man, you know, that she loved and that she created the child with. Yeah. There's, a, so that's a really good point about that. There's a, a number of standout scenes, but there's just this one in question, which isn't scary on the surface, where she gets into, fills a bath and mm -hmm. gets into the bath in her clothes and just kind of lifts up her child and puts him in the bath with her. Yes. He's about like seven years old or whatever uh -huh. and just says to him in a very like, in the, a creepy, uh, the, in that calm way that people have where things, you know that they're losing it uh -huh. because everything is just so very calm and things are stated so articulately. Uh -huh. And she says to him, I will never leave you. And he's, and I think the child's, from a child's perspective, to see the only parent and basically the only person in his world, because he's had losing to be taken crap. out of school, losing losing it is there's the real horror there. Yeah. There's the real yeah. horror. There's uh, there's also sort of several other scenes which deal with which I say I, uh, are the best scenes that I have ever seen, basically representing what it's like to go through clinical depression. Oh yeah. Do you where, think it's like a sort hmm. of kind of like postpartum like, but I guess at seven years old it's uh, you know postpartum probably played it probably came into that because no doubt she was dealing with that as a woman who's like widowed now she's dealing with that but it was it's been many years on so it's probably postpartum combined with unresolved grief and a refusal to recognize what damage is doing to her and her child 
So that is The Babadook, a tremendous film, and uh, that's the, the, my third pick on a list. I think Gail? we have time for one more. Okay. Um, my pick was They Live. Go and, on. And uh, I think it was Roddy, Roddy, blah, something, Piper. Yeah, Rowdy, Roddy, Rowdy, Piper. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, it's, to me, it was ahead of its time because hmm. I think that we, we deal with the issues of privacy and um, being watched. I mean, mm -hmm. look at the surveillance mm. uh, culture mm. that we have now. Um, you're always being watched, you know, people and ads are telling you to buy things, um, obey, like such as the mask girl, which I'm not dissing, I'm just saying, mm -hmm. um, obey, buy, you know. Subliminal, subliminal suggestion, I think they were. Overt suggestions. I think that was really ahead of the time. I mean, mm. in this movie, it's all aliens, right? And then mm. he, what happens is he finds a pair of glasses and he sees all the subliminal messages behind mm. all the ads and mm. like obey, consume, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he actually sees uh, the aliens themselves, which are um, basically taking over our culture. And I mean, there are real, um, to me, parallels. I mean, mm. not the aliens, let's hope. Mm. But, <laughs> you know, just mm. with the surveillance and the subliminal message and the pressure and all of that stuff. And I, I think that it, it is a good um, thing to watch and just to get an idea. Because you can, once you watch that, you can see things happening now that were happening in that movie. And, and from what I hear, it was meant as a warning. That movie was prescient, too, because how long? That's 20 years old, right? Yeah. Uh, Do you want me to just look, yeah, check and see? Yeah, look it up on a okay. But, I mean, and I think people didn't take it very seriously, that movie, but, I mean, now you, you have to see the parallels in it. Like, it's just weird. And it was, it was an amusing romp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, it is old. It's showing its age. 1988. Yeah, 1988. I was like 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So 30, 32 years old. Yeah, 32 yeah. years old. So that's a considerable amount of time in that there really is a sense of... It's funny how some films are just like, yeah, maybe the CGI and certain things are dated. And that kind of takes you out of that suspension of disbelief because you're like, oh, yeah, those 80s effects or what have you. But other things where it's like, it's almost more haunting, pun intended, mm -hmm. in that they're more relevant today than they were at the time. Yeah. So rather than going, oh, we've sorted out that problem in society. You can actually yeah. see that in a lot of horror films. I was watching like a wonderful sort of... Uh, uh, essay, uh, video essay, where they were talking about the horrors in certain times relating to certain periods mm -hmm. were about what people were afraid of. Are they afraid of people who are different? Are they afraid of foreign invasions? Mm -hmm. Are they afraid of, like, uh, social control? Are they afraid of, like, some sort of biological threat? Yeah, are they afraid yeah. of war? And, and that comes through, again, in the metaphorical sense. So and that's... I mean, it's similar to like books like 1984, which are like, mm. you know, 
This is what's going to happen. <laughs> That's right. And people are like, no, no, it's huh. not going to care, Amy. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, oh, Before wait you know a minute. It. Ah, yeah. just kidding. It's you know pretty... what I mean? So, yeah. I, I just really recommend it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not going to look deep into it, just watch it for fun. Yeah. So 80s. Yeah. So very, very 80s. So very 80s. And yet, and yet a timelessness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was Roddy Piper, Keith David, David uh, sorry, and uh, Meg Foster. So yeah, no, mm -hmm. I really recommend Rec it. Recommend that. So the next one and the last one that I'm going to be doing for this podcast, recommending, um, is a is a, um, a movie called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. So this I've is another oldie, and it is, very few people have. It came out in the 70s, if you just want to check. I believe it was 72. I know it's definitely early 70s, and I saw it as a child later, like a, when there was a rerun. I believe it was, it was a theatrical release. 1971. 1971 okay yeah that's what I was thinking early 70s thank you um and and it has the aesthetic of the 70s as well too but I remember watching it on tv like late one night uh -huh. um I think it was probably in the 80s or or something late 80s and this movie was terrifying so first of all what the so the story is that a woman, Jessica, has recently been released from a mental institution. That in itself... Have you noticed that there's a couple of mental institutions? Mental institutions? Well, I do notice that that is a theme. So one set in the mental institution with people who are, you know, sort of of... Well, that you, you do think are stable that turn out to be less stable, as maybe we all are, yeah. right? Who knows the stability? But I like what I like with Let's Scare Jessica to Death is that... It is also the sort of the fun in the title. It's kind of like, oh, who's doing this? But in that, there's the unreliable narrator, which uh -huh. is a concept I really like, whereby the person who's the main character, whether this is more easily achieved in in a in a in a book form, right? Um, where because they're the person telling the story, you have to believe whatever choice do you have, right? Uh -huh. So they're telling the story, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh no, either they're insane or they have an agenda, right? Which is the case with well, we can discuss in other you know sort of later podcasts. Uh -huh. But the thing is, so what you have right here is a woman who. It's not that she's an unreliable narrator. It's that she herself doesn't know if she can trust her own senses. Right. So she goes, as one does, with her husband and a male friend of theirs to upstate New York to mm -hmm. kind of recover after being released for... She had a mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. And um, when they're there, too, it's sort of a small village and most of the people in the town are very, shall we say, not particularly welcoming to strangers or... Sarah, fairly hot, indifferent to hostile, uh -huh. but they meet up with this this young woman about her age. I think she's supposed to be right. in her thirties, so a young woman, this young woman, redhead, uh -huh. and uh, become friends with her. And then, sort of, strange things start to happen that causes the titular Jessica uh -huh. to um, to question her sanity. Okay, so saying Many no more. Many things make me question my, my sanity. sanity. <laughs> 
and certain and the musical score is also very haunting so in this case a lot of stuff a lot of 70 movies don't do it for me just simply because i find it like very consciously like eh, okay that's a 70s movie even classically well lauded films that i can appreciate just mm -hmm. seem to me sort of and um antiquated now yeah. but this film there's a standout scene in that and we do find out that surprise it's not just jessica <laughs> it's like no things are conspiring to terrify jessica ah. this one standout scene that i've remembered years decades since i've seen this movie uh -huh. was where jessica and this kind of mysterious woman mm -hmm. go who they've her husband and his friend and the, the friend mutual friend have, have befriended and kind of bewitched by her because she is a, a beautiful woman mm -hmm. and they go for a swim in a lake and jessica's reluctant and this woman as is like as one would be deserted lake and there's as somebody who loves to swim and loves to swim in strange places i still felt that foreboding right. so they go into the water they're kind of splashing around and everything and at a certain point the other woman disappears right oh geez. and okay so this comes back to why this makes it such a particularly disturbing moment is that when i look at common denominators of of scary movies it'll be something happens with time mm -hmm. and whether it's sort of like somebody turns around and they're not there somebody turns around you turn around and somebody's there mm -hmm. something chairs are all piled to the ceiling in the as you you know move from one room to another uh -huh. poltergeist or what happened there's something like it's not it's not an appearance of a corpse it's not a ghost but it'll be something occurring right. where eh, this is not right this defies all human mm -hmm. like oh, science yeah. right so at one point so at this point she looks around and they're playing they're just kind of splashing around in the water and the woman disappears and she disappears for enough time that you're thinking okay this is a point in which nobody can survive this something's either pulled her down something's happened but in either way she's going to either be dead or has sustained brain damage mm -hmm. and what happens is uh is then we're waiting we're waiting and there's she's looking and then this woman emerges very slowly wearing a dress and then coming out in this very sort of like slow mechanical robotic way out of the lake as jessica's stunned and then starts to run away and the woman grabs her and oh that scene God. is just sense chills still <laughs> still to this day i rewatched it when i found the film online uh-huh and still terrifies me for that reason that's let's care jessica to death so 1971. so i think that if that ever happens to either of us mm -hmm. and somebody Mm. lady grabs us mm -hmm. yeah like maybe turn around give her a punch in the face see how it goes if it's a ghost well we're hooped and if it's a person there you well, go you she was pretty corporeal <laughs> i do not um advocate advocate, advocate violence, violence. but, but what if somebody does seem to be another world creature what about that well then that's called self-defense there you go an important <laughs> lesson in that if somebody is does a quick change on their outfits that can be terrifying because even this was better than the one-piece bathing suit she was wearing oh, but yeah. when she emerged just very just was it a ghost vampire seriously yeah oh okay yeah 
Yeah, so that, that explained the reason that Jessica found the picture of her that was taken, obviously, in the last century, and right. she still appeared to be in the same age. So she had apparently drowned, be turned into a vampire, had drowned in the lake, and her body was still... And that was her wedding dress, actually, that she was oh. in. So, But there was something... It sounds so odd, because you could say if she appeared back in her bathing suit, right? Yeah. She could have been... Some people hold those deep divers, hold their breaths for, like, hold their breath for ages, like this, that whole... Yeah where they go deep diving so you could excuse that but there's no way that all of a sudden somebody you're flashing you're splashing around in the water with them they disappear and they come back in a high-necked white lace dress very very surprisingly disturbing yeah but i mean like a plus for quick costume a plus you know what that woman is yeah with her long red hair kind of like slicked down and just the gaze in her eyes or her dead flat eyes well, yeah. I hope that if I ever become mm. a vampire, I get that power of quick costume changes. I did. That'd be cool. It was a, it was kind of an attraction and repulsion for me. I was yeah. just like, that is pretty, and I based Actually, all I style decisions. Watch that and, movie now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like well, on online, I've never seen it. I would buy it. I think I was gonna. No, I don't think there's a Criterion collection. It was a recommendation of somebody where it was like hidden gems and find this wherever you can find it. Mm-hmm. I you may be able to buy like some old VHS copy or something right. like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like VHS yeah. <laughs> for all those who happen <laughs> to have that. So, so anyway, um, I think that's about all the time that we have for today. We have such, we didn't even get through the whole list. We have such a great love for these type of movies that I think that we're going to have to do another podcast to finish so. off our well, list. Well, you know, the end of the month is Halloween. It has so Halloween. So it would be apropos. Like, yeah, yeah. I it would think we be apropos. do another one at the end of the month. And we will continue to expand because with some of these, as much as we've tried to be as brief as possible to provide a synopsis and an enticement, there's so many more issues that arise because of what mm-hmm. these movies represent that mm-hmm. we need more time. And that's what we're going to do, gentle Absolutely. listeners. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, I, this is Kara Amy Maxfield. And this is Gail. Talk to you later around Bye. Halloween. Bye-bye.